I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and I'm an optimist. And if you come along with me on this journey, you're gonna see infrastructure in a whole new way as a tool for building a society that's more equitable, resilient, and sustainable. Good morning. I'm James Homan from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, September 8th. In today's news, shots are fired on the India-China border for the first time in decades. More than a thousand right-wing protesters gather outside Portland, and the West faces an extremely dangerous fire threat after a historic weekend heat wave. But first, the big idea. President Trump expressed openness on Monday toward an investigation of Louis DeJoy, his postmaster general, who is facing scrutiny after former employees of his previous private company said they felt pressured to make donations to Republican candidates for which they were later reimbursed. In a Labor Day news conference at the White House, Trump said DeJoy should lose his job if it can be proven that he did something wrong. The president was responding to questions about a Washington Post story from over the weekend, which found that over a decade, while DeJoy was CEO of New Breed Logistics, employees said, on the record, they were urged by DeJoy and his top aides to contribute to GOP candidates, and then they were reimbursed through bonuses, a practice that would be unlawful in North Carolina and under federal law. DeJoy's spokesman said that he believes he's always followed fundraising laws and regulations. Late Monday night, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, the Democratic chair of the House Oversight Committee, said her panel will launch an investigation of DeJoy, and she called for his immediate suspension. She also suggested that he committed perjury during a recent appearance before her committee. Since being appointed the head of the U.S. Postal Service, DeJoy has come under additional scrutiny for his severe cost-cutting measures that critics say are wreaking chaos and causing delays, prompting accusations of political bias, especially after Trump threatened to block USPS funding to limit its ability to process ballots for the November election. In his wide-ranging 45-minute news conference, Trump also said his administration will end the coronavirus pandemic through Operation Warp Speed, which seeks to produce a vaccine in record time, though the president's stated timeline clashes with that described by experts in his own administration. The president claimed a vaccine could even come during the month of October, just weeks before Election Day, which is eight weeks from today, which would also be a tremendous boost to his re-election hopes. However, many experts, again in Trump's own administration, caution that such a rapid timeline seems overly optimistic. The lead scientific advisor for Operation Warp Speed, for instance, told NPR over the weekend that a vaccine is possible, but very unlikely to be available by October or November. Trump's former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, said on CBS's Face the Nation Sunday that a vaccine for widespread use will likely be a 2021 event. If a vaccine were created before the end of the year, he said it would probably be used for targeted populations like healthcare workers or nursing home residents. From Memorial Day weekend through Labor Day weekend, the number of Americans who died of COVID-19 shot up from just under 100,000 to more than 186,000, as infections more than quadrupled to upward of 6.2 million. Trump also used that news conference yesterday to push back on the explosive Atlantic Magazine story from last week that detailed his alleged denigration of troops and military service generally. According to the Atlantic's reporting, the president dismissed Americans who died in war as, quote, losers and suckers. Trump said the story was a hoax. Then he attacked the late John McCain at length. McCain was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. In 2015, Trump said publicly that McCain was a loser and that he prefers people who aren't captured. 
But Trump said yesterday that his animosity toward McCain is longstanding and philosophical and shouldn't be viewed as evidence that he does not respect veterans or troops. Trump also tried to distinguish his relationship with the top military brass, which he said is not so great, and his bond with troops on the ground, which he claimed is better. He said soldiers love him, but the top people in the Pentagon don't like him because he's against forever wars and the brass want to keep defense contractors happy and profitable. So as he put it, they can keep making bombs and planes. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, India and China accused each other today of firing warning shots during a confrontation at their disputed border frontier in a marked escalation of tensions between the two nuclear-armed neighbors. Longstanding protocols observed by both countries forbid the use of firearms. Such protocols did not prevent the two countries from engaging in their deadliest violence in nearly 50 years in June, when soldiers armed with clubs studded with nails and metal rods clashed in a remote area of the western Himalayas. Twenty Indian soldiers were killed, The number of Chinese casualties remains unknown. Both countries responded by moving thousands of troops, as well as tanks, heavy artillery, and fighter jets to areas close to the disputed and unmarked border, which is known as the line of actual control. Despite numerous rounds of talks, tensions remain high. Apart from fighting a war in 1962, India and China have largely resolved flare-ups along their 2,200-mile border through dialogue. In 1975, four Indian soldiers were killed in the eastern Himalayas. That was the last time both countries acknowledged the use of firearms at the frontier. Number two, more than a thousand supporters of President Trump, including some aligned with white nationalist extremist groups, gathered in northwest Oregon on Monday night in a show of force against left-wing protesters, creating more tension in a region that has been rocked by weeks of protests. Hundreds of cars, trucks, tractors, motorcycles, and RVs hoisted Trump flags for a cruise rally through the suburbs of Portland. Some members of the group then drove about 50 miles to Salem, where they gathered in front of the state capitol. Armed with rifles, pistols, knives, and clubs, the far-right demonstrators at one point charged into a smaller group of liberal counter-protesters, knocking at least one activist to the ground. The event's organizers said the show of force was designed to convey to the country that Oregonians back President Trump. Following weeks of violent clashes between protesters and police, as well as between protesters and pro-Trump counter-protesters in downtown Portland. There were also families with young children and adherents of the QAnon conspiracy theory in front of the state capitol. Some identified themselves as members of the Proud Boys, a self-identified Western chauvinist group that the FBI says has close ties to white nationalism. The Portland rally caps a holiday weekend that saw fresh protests and political demonstrations erupt from coast to coast, some of which became violent on Friday and Saturday nights. By the end of the weekend, the number of protests in many cities had dwindled, with only scattered clashes between demonstrators and officers. Number three. After one of California's hottest weekends ever observed, a severe fire threat encompasses most of the state and extends over large portions of the western United States. In a shocking example of weather whiplash, parts of the Rocky Mountain states are bracing for a 60-degree temperature drop and accumulating snow within 48 hours of triple-digit heat. The Creek Fire in the Sierra National Forest of California, about 290 miles north of Los Angeles, grew from first being detected on Friday night to consuming over 80,000 acres as of last night. 
The unusually strong winds in California threatened to knock down power lines and thus ignite more wildfires. That's prompted the state's largest utility, PG&E, to plan power cutoffs for more than 500,000 people despite the record heat. The shutoff started overnight for some customers. And this explosive blaze, the Creek Fire, was generated by what meteorologists call towering pyrocumulonimbus clouds. These triggered lightning that spawned fire tornadoes. At least 10 people were injured from the fire, with more than 200 rescued by the California Air National Guard after evacuation routes were cut off. And near Fresno, about 50 hikers just spent a second night at a wilderness resort sheltering in place because all their escape routes have been cut off by the Creek Fire and rescuers don't think they can safely reach them. An older man in that area also died due to a medical episode after EMS were unable to respond due to the conditions. Further south, a separate wildfire that's raging in San Bernardino County was sparked not by a freak storm or a fire tornado, but by a gender reveal party. You can't make this stuff up. The El Dorado Fire in San Bernardino has now scorched 10,000 acres and is only 7% contained. Investigators have determined that the fire was caused by a smoke-generating pyrotechnic device used at a party on Saturday morning in El Dorado Ranch. Sadly, this is not the first time that one of these gender-reveal gimmicks has started a massive blaze. In 2017, an off-duty Border Patrol agent shot a rifle at a target packed with an explosive as part of a gender reveal, the idea being blue is a boy and pink is a girl. That ignited a fire in Arizona that consumed 47,000 acres. Tragically, the weekend blazes in California have pushed the area burned so far this year in the Golden State to more than 2 million acres. That is the most acreage burned on record in a single wildfire season since modern record keeping began. And what's terrifying is that this is even before the most dangerous part of the fire season usually begins. September is typically the month you expect the worst fires in California. And that's the Daily 202 for Tuesday, September 8th. Thank you to Reese and Allison for filling in last week while I was on vacation. While I was off, I took the time to read every comment that all of you submitted as part of our recent listener survey. As always, we really do appreciate the feedback, and we'll keep doing all we can to make this as useful and helpful for you as possible. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tune in to the Optimistic Outlook podcast at Siemens.com optimist.